0: Oh, hey, Elysmites, I didn't see you there. Get it? Because I can't see you? Because I'm in your ears? Anyways, thank you so much for listening today for episode two, and I've said it before and I'll keep saying it, but this is also my journey to learn more about amazing underwater creatures, and today, whew boy, did I learn a lot. But before I introduce this week's guest, I've got a few things to talk about up top. And so first, I'd like to thank you so much for those of you who listened to the previous episodes, and I highly recommend it because you'll not only get to hear great content, which, who doesn't want that, but also because you'll find out more about some great promotional ideas that we're working on here. And leading into that, please do not forget to rate and review this podcast, and then send your review to elasmospod at gmail.com so that you can be entered into a drawing for fun surprise from episode one's guest. And if you already sent your review to me last week but didn't win, then you can share this podcast on social media, tagging Elasmos Pod and still get two entries into the drawing. And people reading and reviewing this week can also share on social media, tagging Elasmos Pod to get two additional entries as well into the drawing, just as a little incentive. So rate, review, share on social media, and email me at elasmospod at gmail.com. And you can find the Elasmos Podcast on Instagram and Twitter, at ElasmosPod. You can find our Facebook page, The Elasmos Podcast, A Shark's Universe on Facebook. You can find our website at elasmospod.com and our Patreon page is patreon.com slash elasmospod. And it really means a lot that you give to support this podcast so that I can keep bringing high quality shark information directly to your learning minds and Patreon donors. I am working on some fun extra content and ways to interact with me in this podcast. So do make sure to give so that you can be a part of all that goodness. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And again, you can give at patreon.com slash elasmospod. Okay, and last little thing before we get right into this episode, I'm wanting to do a listener's type of episode. So if you have any shark, stingray, skate, or sawfish encounters, or to be honest, any fun diving or swimming stories, please email those to me at elasmospod at gmail.com so that your story can be told and we can encourage ecotourism, which, as you'll find out, is very relevant to this week's episode. And man, if I'm not good at segues, that brings us to this bloody good episode starring the founder and director of the UK charity Shark Guardian, who joins us all the way from Bangkok, Thailand, Liz Ward-Singh. So she hopped on a call with me at 8 in the morning her time and 9 at night my time to chat with me about how Shark Guardian became the influential organization it is today. What shark finning is, sea-spiracy, what sustainability really means, the power of petitions, basketball center Yao Ming, the value of an alive shark versus a dead shark, and how to get involved with sharks in science. So buckle up, everybody, because this is going to be a wild ride. So away we go. This is episode two.
1: And then I met Brendan, and then everyone was like, okay, you're probably not going to come home. So I met Brendan, Brendan Singh. So he's the other half of Shark Guardian. He's the other director. You know, we created it together.
0: So you might notice a little chirping in the background or a little wind sound in the microphone on Liz's side, but she's just sitting on her porch in Thailand, letting the nature come in. So let's just appreciate it together and be zen.
1: Well, when I became a scuba diving instructor, I already started to be to learn what was happening in the oceans. Not so much about sharks, I just knew that all the pelagics, I think the stat even at that point was 80, between 80 and 90% of the pelagics had already disappeared. So I started to become more aware and do a bit more research about what was happening in the oceans.
0: If you haven't noticed on this podcast, we don't dilly dally. So Liz and I decided to dive right in. Oh my God, I just realized I already used that pun in the first episode. Already lost originality. All right. Well, it can only get better from here, right?
1: And then Brendan did a presentation when we were living on Koh Lanta for a while, um, and I learned what was happening to sharks, and I was I was shocked, you know. And there was all these other professionals from the dive industry who also had no idea what was happening to our sharks. You know, this was two thousand and nine. Uh, Rob Stewart's Shark Water been released in 2007. So, you know, once you kind of watched that and started to learn the other information, it was just mind-blowing what was going on, but no one knew about it.
0: Yeah, that really is. I mean, it's hard to believe that no one knew about it. But, but I love hearing people's origin story and how they got wrapped up into marine science. And everyone has that. And it's really just an eye-opening experience for them.
1: Yeah, you sometimes don't know what your passions are or what, you, or what your calling is until you're immersed in it. I mean, we, we carried on working and we didn't know we were going to create Shark Guardian into anything big. Brendan kind of had these pieces of paper when we first met of all these schools. Because a lot of the, the teachers from Bangkok and other places come, um, used to come to Koh to to travel and dive in their holidays. Um, hmm. And he used to do these mini presentations <laughs> on mm-hmm. sharks because he's the, he's the marine biologist, so say my background is physiotherapy. Brendan is um the one who studied sharks in South Africa where he's he's from, so he's the shark guy
0: okay, does this sound like last week's episode to anyone else where one of them is a shark scientist and the other one works in exercise science? This is kind of a wild coincidence, but either way, they all like sharks, so all is good with the world.
1: And he had all this information he wanted to share. So as a scuba diving instructor, that was the best platform to reach a lot of people. So we, yeah, we we worked on Lanta. Then we both worked in Indonesia in different places, and then we ended up working in the same place in Indonesia. A place in, in it's called Bunaken. The diving in Indonesia is some of, is some of the best in Asia, definitely.
0: So Indonesia is one of the world's most well-known spaces to see the most amount of fish and animal diversity in the marine world. And so you can see all kinds of species from whale sharks to manta rays to frogfish to cuttlefish. And cuttlefish are actually not fish. They're squid-like creatures, so they're related to squid and octopus, and they're really cute. I did my senior project on cuttlefish sex on the cutest sex in the world. Wouldn't that be fun? Anyways, back to how Shark Guardian got started.
1: And Brunakan used to be amazing for big fish, pelagic. You know, again, we went. So when we worked in Thailand, I mean, Brendan started working on Koh Lanta in two thousand and four. By two thousand and nine, when I was there, you know, the amount of sharks that we were seeing, especially leopard sharks or zebra sharks, you, you was lucky to see one or two a whole season. Let alone you used to see three or four on every single dive. So we had we had seen these rapid changes, and then Brunaca, and we saw rapid changes of the of the big fish, and even just reef sharks. You know, we were hardly seeing any. You know, we were seeing this happening underneath our nose. We we had started to do presentations every week for our guests mm-hmm. at this resort we worked at, and we just we just realized we had something quite unique, and and we knew what was happening. We were like, you know, we've got to do something. Mm-hmm. We've got to try and do something yeah. before it's too late, because this is a real critical time. So that's when we we left that job, the start of two thousand and thirteen. Again, armed with a a list of emails of different school contacts in in Thailand. So the plan first we did a mini tour in Thailand, and then we went to Hong Kong, and we went to places in Malaysia, and and it just it just started that. That's essentially how the official shark guardian started, although Brendan had been doing stuff himself since 2009,
0: 2010. Oh, wow, okay. I was wondering what the tipping point was for you both to start realizing that, okay, we need to start this organization and to put out educational material to teach people about what's going on. And no better way to understand it than firsthand experience seeing the leopard shark slowly disappear from season to season.
1: Yeah, we... We just went to share, we, well, I mean, the initial presentation Brendan created is very different to what we have now, because now like, we have lots of photographers, you know, and videographers donate a lot of amazing material. Um, but we started in the schools, but quickly then started to do stuff with, with dive communities as well, because as I say, even though I was a dive professional when I first heard about what was happening with the sharks... Um, this, the understanding, the knowledge is still quite low, even in that, you know, even though you're working in this this environment all the time. Yeah. So we started to do presentations for dive communities as well. And we said, you know, we are shark conservation for divers by divers. And we, mm. we quickly gained a big respect there. So mm-hmm. we started off doing shark guarding going into schools. Um, then it grew into what the potential we had for the dive communities. And then we started to link with dive um dive clubs dive schools um later that year so we became an official charity in the middle of um, so it was july 2013 so we'd, we went mm. on the road for a few months we realized we had something special people wanted us yeah um all off our own back you know we were like sleeping on friends bedrooms floors and the yeah, wow. like, night bus from bangkok to <laughs> bangkok and stuff um and then yeah, so then we started to do stuff. We went to Indonesia for the first time. So again, then we started to get dive centers who were interested in supporting us. So, so you know, mm-hmm. um, having our merchandise. So that was the early days of Shark guarding. But what we are now, you know, it took us five or six years to decide our different arms. So we, the education is a massive part. But then we have the the research, the conservation, and the expeditions. So, you know, we have the dive centers doing bits of research and education as well. We have the education in schools and books and things. Um, And then the other aspects, which I know we'll talk about a little bit more, but that's, you know, early days, we just hit the road. But then even then it was starting to evolve because they say the dive centers and dive staff were very much respectful of us because they were like, gosh, you know, well done for actually just getting out there and trying to do something rather than moaning about it. Because far too many people were just moaning about the lack of, Sharks and fish species.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I do think that's, I mean, it's it's hard. It's hard to take that first step to move away from just saying that things are going wrong to sharing that things are going wrong and we need to fix it. I mean, it's a big step, but that's awesome that you and Brendan are able to do that and that you're able to do it in such an interesting way as your organization is by divers for divers. And so you're able to work through dive centers and help them. And promote them and like your work, you're, you're encouraging ecotourism. So it's, it's really cool that you're able to promote the welfare and saving these animals so that these dive centers can get even more business because they're here to see the animals, especially in Indonesia where there's such a great diversity. And so now I just want to go back to the basics of what your organization is about. And I'm going to ask a stupid question, but what is shark finning?
1: Yeah, no, it's not a stupid question. A lot of people don't, don't know what it is because it's happening in the ocean. So, proper shark finning is when they pull the shark out of the water, normally by a long line. Um, and a long line is a line. And again, I don't know if you've seen the recent Sea Spiracy. It was on the documentary End of the Line. You know, if you've not seen both of them, watch them. But, you know, End of the Line was two, 2009. It's, the information has been out there a long time. Sea Spiracy is not new with some of the stuff it talks about.
0: Liz is right. If you haven't seen Seaspiracy, you should definitely go watch it. It's only an hour and a half, and it's a great documentary about all just the, the flaws within commercial fishing and how it's just devastating the planet. And it really points out some really key issues regarding plastic pollution, and especially seafood consumption. And it's got me thinking about my seafood consumption as I live on the coast, and how I don't know if I want to support that anymore, because... I mean, of what they showed in the documentary and just how it's so terrible for the environment and these animals. But needless to say, I do want to cover Seaspiracy more in depth, and so I may probably will do an entire episode or multiple episodes on Seaspiracy talking to some fishermen or some scientists about what they think about the claims that Seaspiracy made and how true and impactful it all is. But either way, it's got a great message to act now. So, go watch it. It's really good. Bring some tissues. And it's also got some graphic images. So, you heard it here first. And so now I'm told to go watch Cowspiracy. Oh boy, that's going to ruin a lot of my diet. Well, no better time to become a cute little rabbit. Well, I guess the cuteness doesn't really come along with the vegan. Oh, my
1: life! But long lines can be from the earth. As long as to reach outer space. That's you know they can be miles and miles long, massive long. You know, and you you think of like just a fisherman with a line, you know, just a plasticky wire line. You know, we're talking industrial size, um, you know, wire with hook after hook that just catches anything that's in its path: dolphins, turtles, birds, fish, you know, sharks, whatever. Mm. So, so they're pulling up shark after shark. Bringing the body, slicing off each of their fins, and then chucking it back in the water. And this is pregnant sharks. This is baby sharks. This is all species of sharks. It doesn't oh. matter. It didn't matter, you know. And this is at the height of it. This was oh, that's you awful. Know, Sort of two thousand eight to two thousand and nine when it was really racket. and then it's still happening now. They took They say,
0: hmm, it's crazy. The,
1: the number that they give is a hundred million sharks each year. Uh huh. That's a conservative estimate. Some people just say that it's 70 70 million a year. There there were reports a few years ago. I think it was Pew that did a study. If you took in, you know, like what they think is happening on the black market, it could be like 250 million.
0: No way.
1: And that's every year. It's like 11 11 or 12,000 sharks per hour, if you think of it like that.
0: Okay. I just want us to take a second, process that number. Eleven to 12,000 sharks are killed every hour. This is serious stuff, but.
1: Oh my god! Okay, it's happening! Everybody stay calm! What's the procedure, stay everyone? Calm. What's the procedure? Stay calm! Everybody,
0: calm down! Okay, now that we've calmed down, let's get back to talking about this terrible, cruel practice that people do to such amazing animals.
1: Yeah, so why they do that, why they chop the fins off is because if they have the body on the boat, obviously it takes up more space. And this is also why you get illegal shark fishing because you get fishermen out there fishing other things and, you know, loading it on the boat. Mm -hmm. But then they've done some sneaky shark finning, so there's no shark bodies. Mm. But deep down below in the freezer, in the hold, they have these boxes and boxes of fins.
0: Oh. You know,
1: the cover-up is that they're doing normal fishing. Mm -hmm. So that's the issue because there's a lot of money involved in it.
0: And so the shark fins are used to make shark fin soup, right? Yeah. And is that a worldwide delicacy?
1: You do find it worldwide. Um, It's mainly in Chinatown. I mean it's not just the chinese that consume it you know the chinese mm-hmm. people point the fingers yeah um it, but it kind of it originated in china china way back in the ming den- dynasty um you know hundreds of years ago it was classed as a delicacy and i'm you know doing my inverted comma's fingers <laughs> there yeah. um it was just you know, it was possibly just like people started eating it just like they start eating anything. They just, you know, as it as they, mm-hmm. they they make it make a dish out of it. So it became a thing and then because the royalty was seen to eat it over the years, it kind of became this again, an inverted common culture because it is not a culture, that um people used to serve it at banquets, weddings, birthdays. Because it was seen as still linked with the elite. So it was kind of seen as a status symbol. And because of that, it was an expensive soup. You know, you took in a, a few hundred dollars per bowl of soup in some occasions. So it, you know, it became a status symbol, particularly in Asia. That That's what happened originally. And then with the rising wealth of Asian countries, again you're looking at the similar time span, you know, two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, over those 10, 10, 10 years, if you think of how the Asian economy has grown in that time period, and, you know, that's why I've been in Asia, with people have more money, so big people become more aware of it and think, Oh yeah, let's serve shark fin soup. So again, you know, we in it even now, but especially in the early days we were going into schools and there were these kids that said, yeah, I've had shark fin soup, I had it at a wedding, I had it at a birthday, um, because it's just normal, it's just what is done. And then you show them, tell them what actually happened and they are gobsmacked. And they go and try and tell their parents who won't listen and they go and tell their grandparents mm-hmm. who definitely <laughs> won't listen because they're the ones who do not want to lose face.
0: Man, good for the kids that stand up to their grandparents and parents saying that shark fin soup is bad and it's just bad for the animals. That's awesome. That's not courage that I would have had as a kid. Also, I'm definitely adding gobsmacked to my vocabulary. Okay, back to
1: it. So that's, that's how it all, it all, all happened. That I began. Now, what you probably don't know and what most people don't know that the shark fin itself is absolutely tasteless. So first of all huh. you need a lot of sharks. It, it it's the cartilage. So if you imagine oh. if you've ever seen dried shark yeah. fins um it's it's cartilage. So it becomes this hard hard structure that then you soak, soak it with and the, and this is the thing. They have to cook it with a broth. So whether that's pork or chicken or whatever a flavor.
0: Are you serious?
1: Cuz shark fin is absolutely tasteless.
0: No kidding.
1: So they cook it with a broth, and it's for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. Like it's a long process. They need a lot of fins just to give it any kind of substance. This soup. So again, this is where it becomes expensive. And then if you look if you look down the line at certain species of shark that then became a little bit more trendy. So you imagine a whale shark or uh, you know hammerhead shark. People would pay more if they think they're getting this shark. So that's mm. why there's these different. Um, prices and Mm -hmm. and and this is again when the penny drops that you're wiping out a species for actually for a tasteless soup all the people want is the texture That's crazy these days there are a lot of substitutes thank goodness there's a wave you know there has been a bit of a change there's been you know blind studies where people can't tell the difference between the fake soup oh wow and the and the actual shark fin so and, and you know for for health benefits, you might as well be eating vegetable soup for all that you're <laughs> going to get from a from a broth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the mental part.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, I can't believe that. I didn't know it was tasteless. Yeah. That makes me wonder how it just became a thing in the first place. I mean, if it didn't taste like anything, if you had to put beef into it or pork into it to give it taste, why not just eat the beef or pork and leave the shark out of it? That seems like a lot of extra effort for no gain. Yeah. And so you said it affects all species.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it depends what waters are being finned. Um, about what what species you're more likely to get. But again, sometimes people have this, um, you know, this idea that it's just the, the the bigger sharks or the scary looking sharks that they're going to they're gonna be they're going to be finned. And and this is where this is where the problems arise. I mean, you know, I don't think. We don't think it can ever be sustainable, although we would, we would like to make steps for it to head that way. And we can talk about some of these policies shortly. But the fact that when they catch the pregnant sharks, you know, they've, they've got no, you know, and, and they, they would slit open a pregnant shark to then fin the babies inside. You know the the sharks that do give live birth. If those sharks they oh. in, for example, a hammerhead shark.
0: Oh my god! That
1: you know, there's been there's been images of that, and that is shocking. Oh. You know, and we it, when we were in Hong Kong, we went down this place called Dried Seafood Lane. It's a very very famous hub. It's a scary, you know, because the drug trade is like sorry, the fin trade is. You know, you compare it to the drug trade. That's that's it, you know. So, you know, we saw these tiny, tiny little fins. And yeah, some of the fins could be from a medium-sized shark. It could be, you know, the, the um, pectoral or the pelvic fins. Um, but, but really, it's probably baby fins, baby sharks with their fins taken off. It's a great day uh, for being set. You know, and there are the other fishing methods. I mean, you know, you look at the poorer countries and the cost of shark fins. So there will be some sh- just fishermen, you know, fishing normally who catch sharks as bycatch and then try and sell their fins on. So that's and again, they not they're not going to be bothered of what what sharks that they fin. But yeah, there are a lot of pelagic sharks, you know, that that numbers have reduced massively because of shark finning from longlining and um, particularly in in the open ocean. So yeah. Yeah, they don't, they don't, they don't care what they catch. And there are obviously now regulations. So some sharks are protected by different laws. So it's monitoring it, and it's monitoring the import export as well.
0: Mm, Wow, I can only imagine how difficult that is to monitor. And is shark finning the biggest loaming threat to shark survival? Or are there other threats?
1: Yeah, I, I, I still think that that targeted shark finning and general shark fishing is the big threat to our sharks, definitely. Of course, pollution is now a, a problem. So especially for our plankton-feeding sharks, mm. you've got microplastics floating around in the ocean or just plastic bags. Mm-hmm. You know, for these sharks, so we're talking basking shark, whale shark and uh, mega-mouth mm-hmm. shark, they are filter feeders. So whatever goes through their mouth, will get processed through their gills, Um, you know, and you see in this with with whales predominantly because they're the bigger creatures that wash up on beaches and things like that. It might be that more sharks have been affected, but they've just, you know, drowned and floated to the bottom of the ocean. Um, So, yeah, plastic pollution, obviously ghost nets is a big thing, catching all different species,
0: Okay, so I didn't know this, but ghost nets are fishing nets that have either been lost or abandoned by fishermen in the ocean. And ghost nets are a problem because even though they're not actively being fished by fishermen, they're still able to trap and catch things in the nets that eventually kill them. And a crazy statistic from Seaspiracy is that over 46% of the pollution in the ocean is lost or abandoned fishing nets and gear. So that means there's just a lot of fishing gear out there that can keep trapping animals. So that means we need to do more beach cleanups. Come on, people. Let's go.
1: Yeah, I mean, you even have your drum lines in places like South Africa, Australia, you know, that are put there to deter sharks and to try and make the beaches feel safer for the, for the beach dwellers <laughs> and ocean dwellers. And there are, you know, there's quite a lot of sharks that, that get killed In those defenses when it's trying to deter them to send them away sometimes they get killed there as well
0: Mm. um
1: Mm -hmm. so you know when we do our presentations we talk about all aspects and we talk about the fact that sharks are also killed again it's always predominantly for their fins sometimes then the bodies are used for other things so sharks have Their livers have an oil inside called squalene. So that's been used historically in a lot of beauty products. Mm. That's something that people have to check on. Or medicines, you know, you have shark cartilage and and, and other things, especially in in Asia, you know, where they have these weird and wonderful concoctions where they'll kill all sorts of creatures for for unproven medical benefits. Teeth, you know, shark teeth. you, You have to be careful when you're buying shark teeth that you know that it comes from a a natural source if you like because sharks teeth do naturally fall out when they're hunting so there are places you can go and literally scoop up hundreds of, of teeth and, and you know and that's all cool um so we just say we just say just avoid any kind of shark don't buy or consume shark in any way shark steak can be something that pops up on menus here and there shark is sometimes masked as other fish as well so spiny dogfish is shark lake is a shark so there's, there's there's all these different things that you know if you haven't got any understanding it's a it can feel like a minefield
0: <laughs> okay so moral of the story is do your research before you buy and that's kind of the moral of the story for quote-unquote sustainability And an interesting fact, so I did my research my senior year on the spiny dogfish, and the spiny dogfish is a shark that lives in the northeastern Atlantic, and it's often exported to England and served as fish and chips, which I guess they're not wrong for calling it fish and chips because shark is a fish, but it doesn't tell you what kind of fish. And maybe some places are different and they might use different like haddock or something else that's not shark. But on NOAA's fishery website, it says spiny dogfish is often used for fish and chips. So do your research and stay informed. I need to work on this too. Okay, back to it. So Liz, how are you, Brendan and Shark Guardian working to stop the fin trade since it's such a looming problem and much bigger than the individual to solve?
1: Yeah, I mean, the shark fin trade is massive. We realized that early on, you, you can't do everything. And we started off with the education and we keep staying true to the education side because we say with the right information, people can make better choices. That that's what it's about, being informed, as you say. So again, like in the schools, we're getting kids at a young young age who are going to banquets and seeing the shark fin that they're you know empowering them to be able to say no and trying to change their parents and grandparents' minds, but that's that doesn't happen often. But we have kids, you know, who come and just say, "I just can't get my grandma to stop, and it's causing mm. rifts, you know, and all this, and you know, mm. it's, it's poor poor things." So. We, you know if we can change that, but, but also you know the bigger picture is now when we go in the schools, we have to talk about just protecting our oceans as a whole. Mm-hmm. So if we can inspire kids to look into the bigger picture, then that's, yeah. then that's the main thing. So yeah, so so that's our big thing, education. And like I say, we also work with dive centers. so we, we they can lead courses to educate their guests. they can link it with their oh, cool. diving courses. We have two children's books and we do, donate them to schools Ooh. around the world to again to spread the you know this ripple effect of this information yeah so if anybody who listens wants a book for their school you just have to get in touch with us and that's we send it for free so that's a really good a really good a good project that we created
0: that's amazing you offer free marine science educational material to schools around the world i would have loved to have had access to that okay so that's the education part of shark guardian now what about the conservation part
1: yeah, that's the education side. Then you have conservation. So conservation encompasses the different campaigns and projects we're part of. So you can't, well, we just felt you can't do anything by, it. we do things by ourselves, but collaboration is one of the best things. So, for example, we've been part of coalitions who have sent letters to airlines to stop them transporting shark fin or also... um Uh, shipping companies you know this kind of thing so right now we're part of a campaign called fly without fins that does that and again there are other organizations part of that so again that's trying to stop the trade so we've got the education Mm -hmm. If you can stop the buying Mm -hmm. then there's a knock-on effect then you've got the different ways of shark fin being transported we have finspire change so this is trying to change legislation in the uk to stop People being allowed to bring 20 kilograms of shark fin into the UK. Um, and we've linked with other organizations who have had success in other countries with that.
0: Okay, so we went over this last episode. So if you didn't listen to that, I'm calling you out right now to go back and listen. But, anyways, this FinSpire Change initiative started by Shark Guardian finally came through Parliament in the UK and was passed into law, and now the UK prohibits the importation and exportation of shark fins that are detached from the body. So that's very encouraging and a good step in the right direction. So keep signing petitions for things you believe in like that, because turns out they do make a difference. Okay, I'll shut up now.
1: And then we're now, we've started this this campaign again with other organizations to try and get the MSC to be more transparent with their dealings with shipping, uh, with fishing companies that supply their fish to make sure that they are not misleading customers who purchase fish that have the MSC label on them, who think they're buying a sustainable fish source, but actually the MSC does not have a fins-attached policy in place.
0: Oh, boy. Okay, so the MSC... That's a topic that's covered on Seaspiracy, as Liz will say, but it's the Marine Stewardship Council, and it's a global nonprofit organization that works to end overfishing around the world. Okay, so now I'm done reading from their website. So it's really just a blue label that goes on the packaging of different seafood that claims that that seafood was caught sustainably and is beneficial for the environment. But one thing that Liz will explain a little bit more is what is their definition of sustainability? Is sustainability just choosing the lesser evil when you're given two options? something to think about. But anyways, the MSC has become very controversial since Seaspiracy, and it's just a reminder to look a little beyond the label and see what that label really means, and if you can really put your trust in the label.
1: It's that little blue label. And if you look at Shark Guardian, you'll see a video. It's only in the last week or so this has actually gone live. And it was something timing. We didn't time it with Seaspiracy, but it was identified on Seaspiracy as well. So, again, if you're buying fish and it says sustainable, it's got a label that you know and trust. You expect to feel confident with that trust. Well, it turns out that the MSD. Does not do checks or enough checks on the fishing companies that supply its fish, but also it does not have a policy in line with now. And it's mainly in the European waters. So Europe, in any shark landed from European waters, it has to have what they call a fins naturally attached policy. Oh, okay. So, like I explained before, shark finning, chop off the fins, you can get more fins on. So mm-hmm. how they have adapted the law in a lot of countries. So some countries have a flat out, no shark fishing, no shark finning, done. They know how important they are, they know how valuable they are for tourism in places. Yeah, let's just do that. Others realise that it's not an easy thing to manage. So to reduce it, you know, land the body with the fins still attached. So then they can't catch as much. So you think the ratio changes. So in Europe, that's what the law is. And this is where a lot of the fishing, the fish, the MSC, it's mainly in European countries, the MSC. Um, don't, quote, don't quote me fully on that. It is worldwide, but it doesn't have a policy like this stating fins naturally attach or, hmm. you know, no shark fishing. But what we're calling on is to state clearly and transparently that any of the fish caught are linked to fishing, boats that have a fins naturally attached policy so for example if they're catching grouper or barracuda or whatever fish that if they accidentally catch sharks as bycatch and then they keep the fins they have to land it with the fins attached but right now not so again as i said this black market thing that's happening there could be a lot of fishing boats out there that are catching a lot of sharks and the customers are being misleaded. Mm-hmm. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. So it's quite big right now, this. Very big.
0: Oh, yeah, I can imagine. And how are petitions used to inspire effective change within a community or or a country even?
1: Petitions can be used for policy change at government level. So the petition we had was to do with the... The FinSpire Change campaign that we have. So that was last last June or July that started, and it finished end of the year. I lose track now. We have so much going on. Um, we needed, and you needed a certain amount of signatures to get um something looked at in Parliament, basically. So we, I think, we needed ten thousand signatures to get a government response, and then we needed um a hundred thousand to get the government to look at it it's not guaranteed but what we're doing now there's there's you know mps are being emailed and tweeted just to get different you know um, locations in the uk if you can get the mps on board the members of parliament then they will all bring it to parliament so that's what what happen. so yes so petitions like that or like for example there's there's been petitions um for amazon to stop Um, having these kind of like baby embryo sharks for sale. So, you know, if you have enough people that come together, it puts pressure on an organization, you know. Social media is so powerful if used in the right way Mm -hmm. to bring attention (laughs) to an issue. Yeah. (laughs) It's so powerful. Um, um, Fly Without Fins, it's all done by Twitter. You know, again, reputations reputations of companies can drop overnight if you get the masses all saying bad things about you. This is what we're hoping with the MSC as well. You know, they they need to, to make an official statement. They need to, in this world that we're in where there's so much greenwashing, you know, that term where labels companies try to be eco but actually mm. they're just pulling the wool over your eyes and mm. um, blue washing is the new one for the ocean oh <laughs> similar thing so it, it's just it's just about honesty so so coming back to your question um yeah i mean our petition wise is with the msc um we've change um we have been linked with other petitions to try and get laws changed here in thailand um, yeah, they can be effective, but you really have to market them and push them. It was a big campaign with getting celebrities involved with the with, uh, Finspire change. But ultimately, that campaign, it's such an outdated law. The thing with the MSC, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, there's no reason they shouldn't declare. Yeah. If they are saying that they're a sustainable fishing <laughs> company you know, yeah. that supports sustainable fishing, they, they should be fully transparent that they're not harming... Well, they're still harming sharks, but they're not encouraging or allowing yeah, true. brutal practices. That's what it's about.
0: Mm, right. And that's so disheartening to hear that companies that you feel like you should trust, that are claiming they're a trustworthy brand, being sustainable and taking care of something that you care about, actually aren't trustworthy and they're not doing what they're saying they are. Yeah. Yeah. And so the best way to combat those kind of companies are to kind of make yourself heard, like through a
1: petition or something? Yeah. Again, and do your research. Look, at, look into anything that you buy or consume. Do your full research because you might be surprised what you're supporting or what you're actually buying. That, that's the thing.
0: From different things that I've read or seen online is that Hong Kong is really the shark fin hub. And so are y'all doing anything within Hong Kong specifically to try to reduce the shark fin trade or in any of the other shark fin hotspots?
1: It's interesting. People think everything, it's all happening in, you know, China. There's a big consumption there, but, but actually they are not the big consumers. When you look at who does the shark finning, who exports, so Hong Kong is basically the hub. So wherever the fishing happens around the world, all those shark fins generally make their way to Hong Kong. Now, if you look at the top 20 shark finning nations, so who export their sharks fins to Hong Kong, the top country is Indonesia. The second is Spain. Now, this is what people are very, very surprised at. Yeah, really? Yeah, and this was this was last updated in 2017, so it, it's pretty much still the same. So we've got Indonesia, Spain, India, Mexico, United States is number five. Uh-oh. <laughs> Again, you wouldn't think that. Argentina, Taiwan, Malaysia, Brazil, Nigeria. So those are in the top 10. But if you look at the top 20, so Portugal is number 12, France is number 13. Um, and, yeah, so basically they say that... If you took all the European countries together, they make up about a third of all the shark finning that's going on. Wow. So again, people make the mistake of just saying, I don't need to bother about shark fishing and shark finning. I don't need to care about sharks. It's an Asian issue. It's happening over there. We don't need to know about this. Okay? It is. It's happening everywhere. It's happening on your doorstep. Mm. So we need to be aware about this and try and make things... Happen to protect the sharks. So FinSpire Change was our our way of trying to change the laws in the UK. There is a, a parallel project called Stop Finning EU for all European countries as a collective to get. Um, so there, this is again the power of the petition. All the countries, depending on the size of the country, have to have a certain amount of petition signatures for that to be then taken to the EU. To change their import allowances rules and their and their overall rules to do with shark finning, so that's huge. That's huge right now as well. So that's that's definitely needed. Um, so yeah, Hong Kong. Um, I have to say there is a lot happening in Hong Kong. There's an organisation called Hong Kong Shark Foundation. They do a lot of education in schools. You know, we have been in schools. We've got we've got somebody in Hong Kong that can do stuff on our behalf, but um, with things that have been happening in Hong Kong, um, the political situation, mm. and then with COVID,
0: yeah. um, there's,
1: there's you know we've obviously not been there for quite a while, and uh-huh. there are organisations doing what they need to. But even when we were there four or five years ago, there was already this wave of the younger generation, you know, teens and twenties year olds who were learning the facts. And we're making a change of saying no to shark fin soup at weddings and birthdays.
0: Wow, good. Quite
1: a big wave, a big wave of this. Good. As, as was the same for China, you know, the Beijing Olympics. Um, Yao Ming, a famous basketballer, Yao Ming, led a campaign, again, to show what was happening to stop the consumption of shark fin soup.
0: That's a tall order to stand up to the norm, especially in China. But if anybody could do it, it's basketball star Yao Ming. And I do mean that quite literally. He's seven foot six. So he's probably tall enough.
1: So a lot of the big cities there now, it has improved. It has changed. It's still happening. It's a massive country. So, you know, we can't yeah. ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. But what's needed is, you know, the countries like Indonesia. Um, What was it? one of the other ones that I say? You know, you've got these countries like, you know, like Nigeria or later down the list, we've got you know, Peru and Ecuador, you know, you've got these kind of countries that need the help at a local level, because these fishermen are being pressurized by the, the Hong Kong or the Chinese who who are trying to import it, you know, and probably getting such a pittance for each of these sharks that they're killing. But, you know, it, they live day by day, don't they? Some of these kind of, when you, when you think of these rural fishermen,
0: And that brings up something that I've been thinking about too, is how do you convince people that make a living off of whatever they can catch? And if whatever they can catch that's profitable are sharks, then it's hard to convince them to leave that way of life because that's all they know how to do or all they've ever done. How do you approach that?
1: This is where other organizations come in. So again, we can't do it all, but we promote other organizations work. So there's um, there's a couple of organisations working in Indonesia, one of which is called Project HU, H I U, because that's the um shark in in Indonesia, Bahasa, the language. Um so they work at that grant at that level, you know, and other countries as well. So they teach the fishermen to do tourism, eco-tourism. So rather than oh, cool. killing the sharks, it can you can earn way more money by taking tourists to see the sharks in the natural environments. Oh. Or they become scuba diving instructors and, again, work in the industry. So so this is what is needed. You know, we've been involved with dive centers who have supported such projects as well, you know, training the locals to work in the tourism industry. You know, we have a problem right now. We've, got, we've had a year with a lot of these places that haven't had any tourists, and the knock-on to that... Who knows what that effect is going to have been on our oceans and our, and our sharp numbers over this period of time because again these little fishermen, little villages communities have had to survive, so I, I hate to think what's happened with some of those um, but let 's hope for the future when tourism does get going again that the future is the the ecotourism you know there's some stats that come out of places like the Maldives and the Bahamas about the cost of um, a shark—I can't remember the figures offhand—but you can find it from Pew and Oceana. It's like you know, a hundred thousand um, dollars per year or something for each shark. What it what it's worth versus you know versus twenty or fifty dollars for that shark that's been killed on that one occasion. You know, when you when you when you work it out over its lifetime, it's it's massive what you can get from the shark being alive. They are worth so much more alive then they're all dead, that's the bottom line.
0: Okay, this is just gonna blow your freaking mind. In a study by the Australian Institute of Marine Science, an individual reef shark can be worth up to 1.9 million US dollars over the course of its life through the shark diving industry. But if it were fished, caught, killed, and sold for its meat, it would be worth only 108 US dollars. And yes, of course, I just did the math on my phone. And that means a shark is worth 18,000 times more when it's alive than when it's dead. Now, I'm no financial advisor, but that sounds pretty good to me. Wow, that's so interesting. I, d- I didn't realize that there were other organizations that would kind of help you with all that. Because I never understood how you could try to convert someone from a line of work that was a need for them, but it wasn't healthy for either other people or just the environment or or whatever. But I wasn't sure how you go about converting them from one line of work to another. But that's yes. awesome.
1: Yeah, the money is the is the key for, for the survival and for sustainability.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned the black market. How do you even begin to monitor the black market or try to keep people from selling shark fins on there? Is there any way to convince them to pursue another line of work like ecotourism or do people not want black market ecotourism?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know with that. Yeah, giving people alternatives, if, you know, if you know where the shark finning is happening at its worst, giving alternatives, again, it comes down to the, the financial gain. Ultimately, the black mark finning that's happening out in the oceans you can't regulate that. You can't monitor monitor that. So until, and that's where we always come back to, if the demand stopped, so if people stopped wanting to eat it or consume it or use them in products or whatever, then the cost would drastically change and these fishermen would not be driven to do the black market sale of things. You know, they, they, they once said the amount of, and again, when you go to Hong Kong and you see the bags and piles of shark fins that are there they say that if shark finning stopped now that there would probably be enough fins worldwide already dried to continue fueling people eating shark fin soup for a few years does that make sense so oh it's my quite, gosh. <laughs> already that's crazy. that they could just cook with until people change their mind uh. no so yeah i, I don't know fully but that's just stuff that we've been kind of
0: informed of oh interesting so now it's also on the consumer it's not just on the person who's producing the product or catching the product it's also on the person that's buying the product or consuming it
1: yeah
0: and if one or both parties stop then it'll eventually go away yeah so another hook in shark guardians tackle box of projects and ideas (laughs) is leading diving and snorkeling expeditions too right
1: yeah, yeah, again they've been on hold for a little bit. So, um yeah, we'd we'd uh, that was that was the extra part of as I said. So we have the education, we have the conservation, we do research. Um we don't, you know, get in the field and tag sharks or anything particular ourselves unfortunately because Brendan and I have done practically everything to get this charity where it is. (laughs) Um, We now have some other people working on the team, thank goodness. We have some amazing (laughs) people working with us. (laughs) But research has not been, you know, we can't do everything as a small organization with very little money. So what we've done is collaborate with scientists. For specific research projects, um, and it's all based on citizen science. So that means that people can get involved, oh, cool. um, wherever they are. You don't have to be a scientist yeah. to take part in research. So yeah, we have we have several projects on our website people can get involved in. So then the expeditions, you know, about four or five years ago, after doing Shark Guardian for you know four years and hardly doing any diving because we put all our efforts into you know creating what we have. So, you know what, we need to do more diving, don't we? So we started doing the sardine run in South Africa. So that's an amazing yearly event. And so we take people on these expeditions and then do little presentations to educate, but also then take part. The the main one is eOceans where each dive or water activity, so snorkel or even just being on the boat, you can monitor. I mean, there's an app now for this eOceans. So you can say in real time what, what you're seeing also what you're not seeing so this was a big thing with this eoceans research in thailand over the past years you know we, and we got we got past data from dive centers on we got people's log books and we're able to get a comparison you know what people used to see versus what they are seeing so oh wow like that's awesome this map of what you can see and there's there's trash on there now and all sorts so you know that's something that everyone can do but Taking people to see sharks, so being in that environment and converting people—you know—it's mm-hmm. very easy to, to tell people, "Don't be scared of sharks." You know, <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> talk about obviously how important sharks are as apex predator. If you actually see them and realize, yeah, all that all that I've been told in movies and books isn't true you know that we need to coexist with these amazing features so um yeah expeditions is something we're going to do a lot more of when the world opens up again we've got things lined up in in australia with great white sharks we want to do more in indonesia Um, you know komodo is amazing diving for all species um moldy so we have a lot of things so do do keep an eye on how we expand with that and of course galapagos we want to get there there's so much research happening there.
0: Yeah, and so what kind of research do you conduct or do you help out with?
1: Yeah, so again, I mentioned eOcean, so that's the big one. Um, we also have a leopard shark project monitoring sharks here in Thailand. People can take photographs of the shark, part of the shark that doesn't move very much. Um, based on the same principles of whale shark research, so it's whale shark.org. Um, that's a global database, a bit like the Manta matching. So you take these ID shots. Um, it goes to a database, and they can track these sharks, you know, and worldwide to see where they travel, to see migrations, to see. Where oh, they hang out. cool! So yeah, we just we just remind people and encourage people. So again, that's that's why the the dive community stuff that we do is important because the divers are there firsthand. And again, most of these have no idea that they could, you know, often they're taking these beautiful photographs. It's like, well, if you just took this angle this could show that this shark is coming back year after year to this place and um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah people do need reminders so they're the ones oh oh, oh yeah so they're the the key kind of citizen science but also a year and a half ago we started um giving a bit of funding to an brank project in scotland linked with the university of st andrews um it was for monitoring um, an endangered flapper shark species so that's been that's been pretty cool because obviously we're a UK charity so it was nice yeah. to kind of start to fund that and that, and that is expanding actually so we're we're can continue that support because the area itself is a protected MPA and there are different shark species that so we hope we can you know be part of other monitoring and maybe we can eventually have some internship programs linked with the university and our organisation so that's where we hope we're going with that yeah
0: you know that's funny because i wanted to ask you how you think someone can get into this field of conservation or marine science and research and all that
1: i think it's 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 a massive field working in research working in science marine science particularly there are so many different channels you go again you've got to do your research and you know, going down the route of marine biology or different ocean-related qualifications can be helpful. But I mean, I don't, I don't have a, any qualification like that. My interest, passion, has come from being in the waters. Right. So if you want to go down an education route, I mean, every, anyone can do that. I think again, the power of social media that these days anyone can have an influence. So if you just start sharing the Shark Guardian content on your social media outlet.
0: Did Liz just tell me to become a TikTok influencer? I think so. You know, I think it's time the world see more of this gangly fella that listens to horror podcasts that keep him up at night while playing Sudoku. That's more of what the world wants to see. Right? What were we talking about again? Oh, right. How to become a marine biologist.
1: That You know, I have people that, like my friend's parents that I grew up with, who, who follow me and who share my petitions and have learned so much because of me sharing stuff, you know, and they are so far removed from the ocean. These mm. are people who, who really don't get involved with anything, let yet go, you know, wow, why are we not being told about this? So there's this, that on a basic level, you know, you can go to our website. You can download posters and leaflets. We have kids from schools who go around. You know, to houses or go to other schools and just share this information. So it's very easy from that level. If you want to get involved with with research, like with tagging sharks and monitoring populations, you know, I mean that's the university route, and you you've got to research your university. Like, for example, James Cook University is huge for doing research in um, for for Australia and other waters. You know, and, and it's a scientist from there who we're linked with with our leopard shark project. Um, but South Africa, South Africa is another hot spots, you know, for for great wives and the like. Um, But you know, it's a very attractive career. There are lots of people trying to go down that career. So it's just about Mm -hmm. finding your niche, finding something unique. Um, getting as much experience as you can so yeah we do have people who come um, and spend time with us you know we're but we're not getting in the water with sharks all the time we've not got an exciting glamorous thing like that that people think but other organizations do and people do need help because there's no money in conservation that that's mm. the reality and I, I think everyone will say that so you rely on the volunteers coming and helping you to try and lift you further and do your cause. So, um, you know, I guess that's the best thing I can say is we do your research and go spend time with some organizations who will need your help and see, and see where it leads.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's so true. A lot of people that I've met that have worked in the aquarium industry, they started out volunteering for, for years and then, then they became more recognized through their volunteering and they were able to get a job through the aquarium. So their, their volunteering passion became a career for them, which I, th- I think is really cool and a good low stakes way to figure out what you want to do.
1: <laughs> yeah. Find your passion and go for it. Don't let anything stop you and enjoy the journey. I think that's it. Enjoy the journey. Get a thick skin to, <laughs> to allow you to progress um but but never I mean never give up you know as a charity you know Brendan and I have had so many ups and downs because it can be lonely you can feel your, you know you're competing I mean in the world we are in now social media again it can be used for such good but again you know you need a team of people to keep you out there in social media this is the thing so um yeah develop a thick skin get determination and and just never give up on that end goal You know, find what you're there. What are you trying to achieve? And then you can make anything happen.
0: Man, I love that. That makes me so happy. (laughs) And in a world that is as chaotic as it is today, what gets you out of bed every morning? What's something that excites you about the future?
1: Again, I see the passion with children. You know, every time we go back and do a presentation and we see their reaction, they are the future. They are going to make the changes. They have to makes me sad that my girls, they are six and two years old. Every time we go out, they're picking up trash. It's just become part of life. That's sad, but with the right role models, the kids are going to make changes. And you can see this with younger people, again, emerging on social media. We have a lot that follow us that are trying to do their own little podcasts, that are trying to do little interviews, that go down the beach and show what they're happening. So that's the positive, the fresh generation coming Mm -hmm. through. I also think this last year has caused people to have a shift in mindset of okay, am I doing what I need to be doing? Should I be spending my time and money on something more worthwhile? I think a lot of people have woken up to the need to protect and nurture Mother Nature. We've seen ecosystems bounce back. We see it in Thailand, you know, a hotspot in Thailand, Maya Bay, with um, that they closed before COVID happened. You know, within a couple of months, the populations of black tips had just expanded more than it had ever been seen before.
0: Wow. Our
1: oceans, our lands, they can bounce back if they are given a break. Mm-hmm. So even though the fishing industry is out of control, and that's going to take a long time to sort, people can make small changes, become more aware, spend more time in nature, be immersed in it to appreciate it. And again, all the little changes, every single tiny little change for the positive of our planet does make a difference. Just just stay focused on that. We have to. We have to keep the positive vibe. We Mm -hmm. have to. (laughs) We don't even want to (laughs) contemplate the rest.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, no. a, A negative perspective doesn't do any good. Nothing good comes out of being a sad sack all the time. Now, do you have a favorite marine animal? Or a favorite animal. Let's just do favorite animal.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, would, I talked about this recently. I mean, I absolutely love sharks, but I'm totally fascinated with octopus. I think they're an amazing, incredible creature. I actually just started watching the uh, My Octopus Teacher last night. You got to go and watch it. It's amazing. You know, anything that can change color and texture and, and, and adapt the way it does. And again, this program I have just been blown away by what I've learned about um, octopus so um, yeah that's my favorite favorite shark is probably the leopard shark the, the zebra shark because I've had some beautiful encounters with them here in Thailand getting very close to them but I've yet to see a basking shark so maybe one day when I see those that might go top top of my list
0: yeah oh yeah I do love a good basking shark well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. It's It's been such a pleasure learning more about your organization. So that was the wonderful and lovely Liz Ward-Singh, the founder and director of Shark Guardian. And you can find Shark Guardian online at sharkguardian.org. And Shark Guardian is on almost all the social medias that I could ever think of. They're on Instagram and YouTube at Shark Guardian. They're on LinkedIn at Shark Guardian UK Charity. They're on Twitter at Shark underscore Guardian. And lastly, they're on Facebook at Shark Guardian Worldwide. And on their website, you can find information about conservation, education, and the research that they do, along with a shop that has great stuff for divers, for swimmers, and for just people that like to wear clothes. And the profits go to this organization that fund research and promote the conservation of these wonderful, beautiful, and majestic animals. You can find Liz on Instagram as well at Liz underscore shark underscore guardian. All right, so now I get to interview myself. Okay, Sam, so where can you find this podcast? Good question, Sam. You can find and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash elasmospod. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at elasmospod. And you can email us at elasmospod at gmail.com. We also have a Facebook page called the Elasmos Podcast, A Sharks Universe. And please, please rate and review this podcast because then it gets opened up to more people and more people can hear about it and listen to it and learn about sharks and fall in love with them just like you and me. And remember after you rate and review to send your rating and review to me at elasmospod at gmail.com so you can be entered into a drawing where you could possibly win something that may or may not be artsy from last week's guests, Miriam and Greg. So make sure you do that so you can get entered into that drawing. And if for some reason you want to follow me, you can follow me on Instagram at smcneely4335. And I want to give a special shout-out to Wes McNeely and Connor Blake for making the amazing theme song that I still love and get chills every time I listen to, Wes can be found at Wes.McNeely1 on Instagram, and Wes McNeely on YouTube. Okay, now that we're done with the credits, on to my weekly update. So, two Christmases ago, I got an Oculus Virtual Reality headset, and it's so fun, I highly recommend it. It's really not that expensive for what you can get out of it, and, and what you can experience. But so for this Christmas, my brothers and I got a new game called Population One, To be able to play together wherever we are because we're not living in the same city. So it's just our way of hanging out. And so we've been playing it together and it's really fun, but there's a lot of like moving your arms and like climbing and you have to like, it's a shooter game. So you have to like reload guns and stuff like that. And then you have to hide behind stuff. And so you're moving your hands a lot and you've got these little controllers in each hand. It's like half of a PlayStation controller and I've just nailed the wall before. I've just like really punched it. I'm amazed I haven't broken anything yet. My friend Chuck, he knocked out a light fixture and shattered it and it was the funniest thing. I still laugh so much about it. But yeah, I have yet to break anything. But also if you want to come play with me, my name is Green Eggs and underscore am on Oculus. Alright, come on guys. Let's all play together. And you can also go swimming in the ocean and see, like, natural geographic videos of people, like, snorkeling and climbing mountains in virtual reality, and it's a 360 view. It's crazy. It's really cool. So that's my update this week. I'm going to keep playing it next week, but I'll have a new update for you. I promise. And one more thing before we go, I'm interested in starting a listener's episode every so often where I tell everyone's stories about their encounters with different sharks, skates, rays, and hopefully sawfish. That'd be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? But yeah, so please email me any stories that you have about encountering any of these amazing animals or just any other animals in general because everyone loves to hear about what you can see out there. And it encourages people to get diving! which is awesome. We love ecotourism. That's what this is all about. Okay. Okay. Now I think I'm officially done. Thank you so much for listening, to Elasmites. Stay cool. Stay frosty. All right. I'll see y'all back here next week on the Elasmos podcast. Later, skaters. <laughs>